I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table Podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair, and let's begin. A born and bred New Yorker and lifelong daydreamer, fueled her passion for writing everything from restaurant reviews, original birthday cards, and even work-related emails into a career penning romantic comedies. When she's not writing books filled with grand gestures and hard-earned happily ever afters or working as a trademark paralegal, she's most often reading, running, or watching TV. For research, of course. Her trade paperback debut is as seen on TV. Welcome, Meredith. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Before we get into your career as a novelist, let's talk about how you cut your teeth. I'm a trademark paralegal is my day job. And I discovered that like my favorite part of the day was emailing clients and taking legalese and making it understandable. And people complimented me. I was asked to edit attorney briefs and things like that. And when someone tells me I'm good at something, it just makes me want to do it more. And so I started just like reviewing books on Amazon writing restaurant reviews and bar reviews for Yelp. Anything that could be written, I just wanted to write. Are we going to see any of these themes show up in a book at some point? Probably not. It hasn't happened yet. My characters are usually nothing like me. So (laughs) I try not to. When I first started writing, they were. And I've tried to kind of get away from that a little bit. I mean, there's always a part of me that goes into my books or somebody in my family or just certain things. But for the most part, I'm making up a completely different person. From there, you began with a small press. How did that prepare you for the scene on TV? In so many ways. No matter what manner in which you publish, people are going to read it. People are going to have their opinions about it. It's going to be edited. And so it certainly thickened my skin. First, from an editor standpoint, and beta readers, I've always had those. So I don't get upset anymore when somebody's giving me critical feedback. I need it. And yes, bad reviews still really, really hurt, but there's a lot of debuts because it's my traditional debut and I'm in a lot of debut Mm -hmm. groups and they get so upset when they get a four-star review. After so many books, I'm like, four stars is a great review. There's no way you're only going to get five stars unless you want five people to read your book, your kids, your parents, your sister, your lover. Otherwise, you're going to get something else. And fours, four means they really liked the book because I published with a small press first and I saw all the reviews. I had everything from five star to one star. Again, it's never pleasant to receive a negative review, but it becomes a lot easier the more books that you write and the more you realize the more successful you are, the more widespread the readers are going to be, which increases your chances of getting negative feedback. The longer you've been in this, the more you take those negative reviews with a grain of salt. All of these experiences led you to a scene on TV. I listened to the audiobook. It was very nicely done. It was well-written. I thought it was really fun. It reminded me of one of those things that like the balls are supposed to travel between the pegs and then it lands at the bottom. And no matter which way she went, she kept hitting a peg. And it was like nothing was the way she thought it was going to be. How did your character land in Pleasant Hollow? Well, I knew I wanted to write a book where all the small town tropes were flipped on their heads. Because I came up with the idea so many years before I actually started writing the book. And my friends and I, author friends, we were talking about just the predictable and beloved like tropes of Hallmark movies. The way everything goes a certain way. And it's not a bad thing. It's what viewers come to expect and they love it. 
But what if right. somebody who was actually addicted to those movies and had no experience with small towns thinks she's going to live out her own small town life and experience, and then she gets there and everything is the opposite. So I thought of all these things ahead of time. If you go to a small town and you stay at a B&B, on TV and in the books, the owner of the B&B is just so happy that you're there and welcomes you and feeds you. And so Adina expected that to happen. So of course, I, as somebody who's trying to make the opposite experience, have a you know, B&B owner who doesn't give a crap about this. You know, <laughs> like, Give me your credit card, check in, is it for, see ya. So sorry, we're out of room. You don't get to stay longer. Yeah, which on a movie, they would make something. They'd find a way. They'd find the attic and they'd clean it out and they'd make it lovely for her. And so I did that like all the way through until it gets like enough already. But I, you know, I wanted her to have like the initial experiences that are letdowns, but still hope. Oh, that was just a fluke. I'm going to go to the diner and they're going to give me like the best pie I've ever had. No, that didn't happen either. I'm going to meet the small town guy who is just lovely and I'm going to fall in love with him. And no, that didn't happen either. And finally, she reaches a point where she's like, okay, this is what Pleasant Hollow is. And it's not Stars Hollow like Gilmore Girls. And it's not Angel Falls and the Hallmark movies. And what am I going to do now? Because I have a story to write. Probably not one of us who writes commercial women's fiction or romance who hasn't been asked, when will your novel be made into a Hallmark movie? And the people that ask that are not related to publishing. They're people who genuinely like the book and they enjoy it enough that they can see it playing out on TV, which is a lovely compliment for all of us. But when will we see your book made into a movie? I tell them Hallmark is probably not the best place for it because there's sex there's cursing, and that would never happen. I guess they could take it and rearrange it and do it differently, and that would be fine. I see it more on like Netflix or even mm-hmm. a television show. Like, so right. it's not just over in two hours. I would love that. I would love a series on like Amazon Prime or Hulu. I'll take an after school special on TBS. I'm mean, <laughs> a dream come true just to have my book turned into something that you can watch. I get that too. When you explain to them why your book would not work for Hallmark's rules. You're explaining it to people who watch Hallmark movies, but they've never noticed that like, you don't see the guys take off their shirts. You don't hear cussing. You don't see much more than kissing. They don't notice that until you point it out. And it's like, oh, that's a rule? Yep, and it's a big rule. My agent did not even submit the book to Hallmark Publishing when we went on submission. That may have been a good thing considering Hallmark Publishing, rest in peace now. Because your book was tied to kind of that Hallmark machine, did you receive any pushback like from Hallmark or from other made-for-TV, anybody? Not at all. My editor did have me change a lot of the Hallmark references though, where I specifically Mm -hmm. said Hallmark to small town romance because Hallmark isn't the only channel that does them. It's just the first one that always pops into my head. So if you think there are a lot of like specific Hallmark references in the book now, you should have seen it, you know, draft two <laughs> because there were more. So she had me like change a lot of them to make them more generic, small town romance, small town romance tropes rather than Hallmark tropes. I Did definitely get- specific references in Easter eggs because I wanted people that were big fans of the movies to recognize names like Lacey Chabert and Candace Cameron. For me as a fan of something, when I read a book that has actual pop culture references, I love Mm -hmm. it. My second book, there aren't as many pop culture references. There are, because that's just who I am. I am addicted to TV. If it's on television, I've watched it. 
And I will always have pop culture references, but there are definitely less of them because the book isn't inspired by anything specific. Whereas a scene on TV was specifically inspired by like an upside down Hallmark movie. Where did the inspiration for the town come from? I had planned to go and spend like a weekend in a small town and then COVID hit. And I was oh, trying to yeah. Um, in my 500 square foot studio in New York City. So I couldn't go anywhere. So I didn't really see an actual small town when I wrote it, which was helpful only because for me, it wasn't supposed to be a charming town. I didn't want to go to a small town and see this amazing, because there are small towns that really are like Hallmark movies. The only thing that I was inspired by were all the movies and the television shows I watched with the Main Street. And everything mm-hmm. is on that main street. I got inspiration from them when I was picturing it. And when I was writing it in my head, I pictured main street in every single movie I've ever watched. Here that you can actually find yourself when you go and you have this one specific main street, and then you end up kind of tying yourself down to that. And it makes it harder on you. And often the readers wouldn't know the difference between yeah. one that you created. When I write about New York City, I use actual places yeah. because I feel like that's the fun of a book mm-hmm. in New York City. Since this was a fictional town and it wasn't based on yeah. any actual town, I named it like Lickety Splits Ice Cream Shop. I'm sure there is one somewhere in the United States because, I mean, it's a cute name. Books on yeah. Maine. I mean, like that's such a generic yeah. name. Fred's Hardware Store or something. I don't even remember the name. It's been so long since I've worked on this book. But yeah, those were all made up. In fact, I know so many people who are from small towns and they all were like, that sounds like my town. And I'm like, well, good then, like realistic, but it wasn't intentional. If we relate to it, we enjoy it more, I think, as readers. What's next for you? I have another rom-com coming out July 25th of next year with Forever, the same publisher as Mm -hmm. a scene on TV. And I just revealed the cover on Instagram last week. I'm waiting to reveal it everywhere else because my publisher has not uploaded everything onto their website. There's no cover on Amazon yet. And I don't want to upload anything without pre-order links because you can't edit anything on Twitter. You can't edit anything on my newsletter. So like every 10 minutes, I'm refreshing my publisher's page just to see if it's up yet. (laughs) And it's not. But I'm very excited about that book. It's called Someone Just Like You. And it's enemies since childhood to lovers romantic comedy about former neighbors and opposites, Molly and Jude who hated each other growing up. And now in their 20s, they're forced together to help plan a co-anniversary surprise party for their parents who are best friends. One set is celebrating 35, one set is celebrating 40. And so they are forced together to pick the venue and they revert to their old habits of one-upping each other and pulling pranks until like a friendship forms. With like it's ripe with sexual tension. And then they discover they've both been dating a version of each other's doppelganger for like a decade. Every single person they've both dated has had something in common with the person they claim to hate. Raising the question, why do you seek in romantic partners what you claim to hate about each other? Fun. Of course, they get together, but will they stay together? Yes, because it's a romance, so they will. But there's a lot of conflict and tension along the way. And it was a blast to write that book. What do you wish you had known when you began writing? I wish I would have known how hard it is and how... When you reach a certain point of success, how that's only like successful in that moment. People think like the dream is get an agent and everything is going to be easy from there. Like, first of all, getting an agent is not easy. But once you get the agent, then you still have to sell a book. Now, we went on submission with one book that didn't sell at all. So then when I saw the scene on TV, I was like, yes, the dream. I'm going to break out. I'm going to be like Emily Henry and Sally Thorne. It doesn't work that way for everybody. My book, I mean, it's selling, but it's not a breakout bestseller. But then there's another book 
that might be. I wish that I knew that success is not linear, that, you know, mm-hmm. you've reached a certain point and yay, please enjoy it as much as you can, because there's going to be lows and you have to remember to appreciate the highs because when you hit those lows, they're like really low. And then also realize that things will get high again. If you want something badly enough and you enjoy writing enough, like I do, no matter how low there have been, I never, ever stopped wanting to write. I've never, ever wanted to give up. I knew that it wasn't just you reach this point, then you reach this point, then you reach this point and you keep going up. It, it doesn't unfortunately work that way for anybody. All the success stories we see, those authors guarantee they had their rough patches as well. Look at Colleen Hoover in the last few years. I mean, yeah, she's everywhere. You're also seeing those books and they have new covers. All her backlist now is everything old is new again. And so, you know, if you look at it that way and you go, well, everything I've done up to this point is backlist. It's an investment in your career as long as you keep going. I think Sonali Dave said that, I think she told me that like 80% of authors quit. And I wish people who weren't in this business understood how hard it is. First of all, maybe they'd stop tagging you in like negative reviews (laughs) or maybe, you know, they would just understand that it's hard. It takes time. Like when you can't go out to dinner with people because you have a deadline, it's real. I have a day job. I have to like put in time to write my books or else I don't write my books. Or the, oh, I think in one of these days I'll sit down and write a book. Yes. You go, really? Yeah, because I I guarantee like maybe 5% of them will. You know, that doesn't bother me anymore. I just kind of like inwardly roll my eyes. So I'm like, okay, you do that. Let me know how it goes. (laughs) Yeah, like I always want to encourage them. Like, yes, you should. But at the same time, you want to say in a way that would not discourage them, buckle up. Being an author doesn't mean you're going to be rich and famous. So that's why you're doing it. And if you love writing, by all means, do it. That's why I do it. I mean, granted, I I would like to make more money and be more famous. I just want to be in the game because for every book that I have an opportunity to publish is another opportunity for that book to break out. Well, this was a super fun one. And I'm excited about someone just like you. Yes. It's a great title too. I want to get done. I've got to get on Instagram. I haven't been on Instagram this week. I want to see that cover. (laughs) I saw a trigger warning on a scene on TV. The reason I bring it up is because fellow author Jamie Beck began a conversation on Twitter this weekend about trigger warnings and whether we need them or whether we don't. And nobody really agreed. Like, well, my editor told me to, and then, well, my editor told me to strike it. For those who don't know what a trigger warning is, It gives the reader a heads up that this is something that might trigger an emotional response that isn't always a positive. Maybe there's mention of suicide or rape or a devastating illness or something like that. With that in mind, what is your opinion about trigger warnings and why was one important for as seen on TV? I think they're very important. I agree with them. Certainly things like, you know, miscarriage. If somebody experienced one, you might want to know about that. Cancer Mm -hmm. is a big one for me. I read a book recently that I loved, but I almost gave up because I didn't realize that a main character got cancer in the book. I lost one of my best friends to cancer. And so I just, I don't really like reading about it too much. But I've also read books that I've loved despite it. But it gives the reader the opportunity to decide for themselves. The ones first seen on TV, there's alcoholism. Mm-hmm. I think uh, parental estrangement, things like that. I think there's degrees. Alcoholism wasn't a huge part of the book, but we put it on there just in case. It's actually my editor who put it in first. Like, I don't know if we'll have trigger warnings in someone just like you, because there's parental separation in your adult parents, though. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many people would be upset about 60-year-olds getting divorced. So I don't know if we'll put that in there. And one more, there's abuse by a client. 
It's off the page. Client of my main character who was pretty abusive towards her, gaslit her, and just made her like drove her basically out of her job. I think that might be a bigger one. Except again, it's not on the page; it's in the past, but it's mentioned. That's respectful of your readers. Have you read anything interesting lately? I just started something that I'm enjoying thoroughly already. I was reading it while I was just waiting. It's called Before I Let Go. I just happen to have oh Kennedy Ryan. Yes, and I'm only like. 20 pages in. So I can't really say that much about it, but I did hear that it was like a little This Is Us and Sweet Sweet Magnolias. I think yes. it's the TV show. Because it's, oh, I think cool. it's Southern and it's a lot of family things and issues and there's humor infused like This Is Us, but it's also really dramatic. And I've never read Kennedy Ryan before. We share an editor. I mean, I share an editor with Kennedy Ryan, Abby Jimenez. Like, it's just, I'm not worried that Leah, my editor sent me this book as an arc. And I'm just starting it now. And it's deserving of all the hype it's getting so far. She is such a talented writer. I'm a big audiobook person. And the first one I listened to was, oh, Hookshot, maybe. The writing is so good. She's got a gift. You know, talk about trigger warnings. That one had some really tough scenes and and she handled them beautifully. So I think that's what she's really known for because there's a Mm -hmm. lot of trigger warnings for this one as well. I'm always reading like three books at a time. A lot of the books that I read are arcs, so they're not out yet, Mm -hmm. but I did just read in an instance and it's kind of like a lovely bones in that the main character is the point of view of somebody who's just passed away. It's like this horrific accident between these neighbors. This is a couple of years old and they go on a ski trip and in trying to avoid hitting like a deer, they end up going over a mountain and this main character is 16 years old and she dies instantly. Mm And she has to see how the rest of the family deal with this disaster, like more death. There's people who have injuries and some of them are very selfless in helping other people first. And some people are very like me, me, me. The main character sees all of this and tells the story for the reader. I just finished it like last night and it's fantastic. To be a romance author or to be a author in any genre, you need to read very heavily in that genre. I enjoy it, but I have to read a lot of that. So I try to pepper that with thrillers and historical fiction and like deeper women's fiction. And I get a lot of those through the Amazon Prime program. In your view, what are the most important elements of good writing? I'm a mentor in a bunch of programs. And so mm-hmm. like, an aspiring author will send their manuscript and to a bunch of people that are willing to be mentors. And we read and we decide which ones that we can work on the most and that we want to help them. And for me, I always look at voice and just kind of like a hook, a marketable hook. But I'm also mentoring mm-hmm. them to help them ultimately get an agent and sell. So that's why I look for those two things. But as far as my own reading, I'm very character driven. I really like characters that make you really just want to follow their journey. But I also very much into voice where Mm -hmm. the writing style is different. It's not the same that I've read a million times or it's very conversational. I like easy breezy or it doesn't feel like I'm making an effort when I'm reading. But I think everybody's definition is different as long as I don't want to put the book down. To me, that's good writing, good storytelling, at least. Yeah. I mean, there's good writing with like, you know, prose, very poetic. That's not necessarily what I enjoy the most. I enjoy books that just keep me riveted and and turning the pages. I discovered recently Katie Sice. She writes psychological thrillers. Her recent one is called The Break. And I was really impressed at her ability to tell a story. And I don't mean to oversimplify it. Sort of a simple story, but yet it was what made it so lovely was just the way she unwrapped it. Mm-hmm. And which to me told me you don't have to overcomplicate the story 
if you tell it right. Really well done. It's another one you might check out. What is the most fun thing about writing? I like giving my characters like this happy ever after, like this grand gesture at the end where everything works out. But I also really enjoy pulling, putting them through hell first, knowing it's going to be okay at the end. Like I really yeah. enjoy the fight scenes, you know, the frustrating scenes, the sad scenes. And I know a lot of romance authors on Twitter are like, I only like vibes and kissing. I don't only want to write about vibes and kissing and I don't only want to read about that. I love good vibes in a book and I love the kissing scenes and everything and the sex scenes steam great, but I want to read the tension and the conflict. And I like writing the tension and the conflict because to me, it makes the resolution like all the more sweeter. There's a lot of debate whether you want the third act breakup in your romance. Mm -hmm. And I always write a third act breakup, at least I have so far. And I like reading it. Because again, I like seeing characters brought together. Like I love the buildup and then they get together and I love them to enjoy each other for a while. But then I like them to have another challenge and see how they get through that challenge and ultimately end up together again. I think it shows how strong a couple they are. Mm -hmm. Was it Eddie Drake starts over, Linda Holmes? Mm -hmm. And this has been what? Four or five years ago? Is it yes. that old? I mean, it's, it's at least three years old. Remember the scene where he was teaching her how to throw the ball and catch the ball? And it was like, they're completely clothed, but just that tension. And yet they had that push and pull throughout. And when you said that about, instead of it being this A plus B, the kiss, it's all good. But to have that bit of a push-pull challenge, so it's not just wrapped up, you assume it's wrapped up right away. I mean, we know if it's romance you're going to get the happy ending, but still, I mean, you want to, you want to work for it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Journey that makes it different and more unpredictable because yes, the only thing predictable about a romance is that there'll be a happy ending, but doesn't mean the actual book is predictable. My favorite part of someone just like you is taking my main characters and having them go from like hating each other to discover that they actually like each other as friends. And then it's all in the point of view of the female main character. Mm -hmm. And when she starts kind of, thinking about Jude in a different way. She hates it. She's like, I'm not supposed to think about this guy this way. I hate him. He put a caterpillar in my hamburger when we were growing <laughs> up. He drew like penises on my Barbie dolls. Like I hate this guy. The buildup, like the growth from hating to kind of like thinking somebody's got not so bad to suddenly wanting to kiss that person. I loved writing that. It challenges us from the outside. We all look like we know what we're doing. When you can get inside that character's head and you know, there's just all this turmoil that, okay, I may look like I know what I'm doing, but I am not okay with what's happening here. And I don't know why I process it with them. Do you have any advice for new writers? I have a lot of advice for new writers. Number one is don't be afraid of feedback. If you want to publish it all, have somebody else besides your mom or your best friend or the person you go to bed with, read it. And give yourself 24 hours to kind of let the feedback sink in. Because even after all the books that I read, my critique partner is uh, Sam Bailey, and she's a thriller author. Every single time she gets back to me with feedback, and she like rips me apart. I hate her. And she always emailed it to me and says, you're going to want to punch me. And I always do. But I give myself 24 hours before I get defensive and say, well, the reason why I did this was because I let it like sink in. And then I decide what I actually really agree with. And it's usually a lot of it. It's always a lot of it. And what I ultimately don't agree with. So I think it's important to take in feedback and follow it if it makes sense. Don't not follow it because you're afraid that it's going to be a lot of hard work, but also trust your gut. Don't take every piece of feedback that somebody gives you and says, you're right and change it, change it, change it. You also have to trust your gut because sometimes 
you don't need that feedback. So kind of know the balance between being afraid of feedback and taking every single thing that you hear and just rewriting constantly. You're going to get that feedback, whether you like it or not. Critique partner knows how to tell you because they know what you're capable of. And so feedback now before you publish Mm -hmm. it. Another piece of advice is hold tightly to your dream. Like if your dream is to be traditionally published, that was my dream. Hold tightly to it. Don't give up, but don't necessarily hold tightly to one manuscript. That's a piece of advice I give all the time. Even since I've been published and agented, I have like three manuscripts that are like between 50 and 150 pages that didn't go anywhere because either my agent didn't like it or for like my option, if my editor didn't like it. And if you're querying and you're not getting anywhere and you've tried everything and you've exhausted 100 agents or more and you've applied feedback and it just isn't hitting, it could just be the book, it's time, is it now? So instead Mm -hmm. of continuing to tweak that same book, maybe start a new one and be okay with it. And also once you sign with that agent, be okay with the fact that your first book or even your second book might not sell. And it doesn't mean your second one won't. My first book did not sell. My second book had interest overnight and it sold an auction in a week. Every book that you write is not a waste of time because you're learning something. The book that didn't sell, it wasn't a waste of time because A, I learned from it and B, it got me my agent. So that when a C on TV was ready, I didn't have to then go into the query trenches. I went straight to my agent. Don't be afraid to put one manuscript aside because it doesn't mean that you're done. It just means this might not be the book for right now and write another one. And it might be if you want to publish a different way, if you want to indie publish and you want to publish all of your books, that's great too. Mm -hmm. So many of the books that don't sell to editors could be amazing and readers might really, really like them. But when you do it traditionally, there is a gatekeeper. Mm -hmm. You have to learn that you might have to let something go and start on the next one. Thank you, Meredith. You're welcome. To learn more, visit MeredithShore.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.